Namaste and welcome to our continuing series Savitri is the message with our beloved Alok with us always. We are now in the canto number seven, the cosmic spirit and the cosmic consciousness. And I have quite a bit to read, so I'll begin. Page 553, I suppose. Yes, 553 is correct. Out of that distant vast came a reply. Something unknown, unreached, inscrutable, sent down the messages of its bodiless light, cast lightning flashes of a thought not ours, crossing the immobile silence of her mind. In its might of irresponsible sovereignty, it seized on speech to give those flamings shape, made beat the heart of wisdom in a word, and spoke immortal things through mortal lips. I wanted to start on 552, actually. You can, can, which, you can read, yeah. Well, I, I think that would be good, because this is where we see that Savitri is losing this idea of this self. So I'll begin then. Perhaps she bore, made conscious in her breast, the miraculous nihil, origin of our souls, and source and sum of the vast, vast world's events, the womb and grave of thought, a cipher of God, a zero circle of being's totality. It used her speech and acted in her acts. It was beauty in her limbs, life in her breath. The original mystery wore her human face. Thus was she lost within to separate self. Her mortal ego perished in God's night. Only a body was left, the ego's shell, afloat mid drift and foam of the world sea, a sea of dream watched by a motionless sense in a figure of unreal reality. An impersonal foresight could already see in the unthinking knowledge of the spirit, even now it seemed nigh done, inevitable, the individual, the individual die, the cosmos pass. These gone, the transcendental grew a myth, the Holy Ghost without the Father and Son, or a substratum of what once had been, being that never will to bear a world, restored to its original loneliness, impassive, soul, silent, intangible. Yet all was not extinct in this deep loss. The being traveled not towards nothingness. There was some high surpassing secrecy, and when she sat alone with Satyavan, her moveless mind with his that searched and strove 
in the hush of the profound and intimate night, she turned to the face of a veiled voiceless truth, hidden in the dumb recesses of the heart, or waiting beyond the last peak climbed by thought. Unseen itself, it sees the struggling world and prompts our quest, but cares not to be found. Out of that distant fast came a reply. So this is the penultimate phase of Savitri's yoga. And we see it moves through these three phases. First is the discovery of the soul, which is the first fundamental step. With the discovery of the soul, the ego doesn't die, but it becomes very weak and thin. It's like a defanged snake. So it it continues to be driven by past momentum of actions. And slowly, through the process of psychic transformation, there is introduced in the ego personality the sense of the light and the right. It gets oriented spontaneously toward the light and the right. And as it gets oriented and one realizes that one is not here for uh, one's selfish satisfactions but for the sake of the divine work, so all the centers begin to open because they are closed because we don't need it. We need only a small uh, modicum of energy which is needed enough for taking care of Um, our little family deeds. (laughs) So when we begin to live with this, even with this idea and conscious aspiration that we are here to serve the divine, then these centers open automatically because the need itself impels. So that we see in the first five cantos. Then in the sixth canto, which last time we read few lines, is that she goes beyond this annulment of the ego self. So she enters the state of nirvana. And the absolute. It absolute because it's independent of all relativity. So there are two two absolutes in yoga. One is an absolute which is relative to the relativity. So it's it's the ultimate. And the other but ultimate with relation to a whole gradation of things. And there's the other absolute which exists in itself. Even if the entire universe were annulled, it will continue to be there. So she enters into the all negating absolute. So it negates everything that you know, the mind can conceive, the senses can weave. And then she enters into the utter vastness, the cosmic spirit and the cosmic consciousness. And as Sri would uh, tell us that there are two sides of cosmic consciousness. One is cosmic ignorance and this is the cosmic truth. So it is what is known as avidya and vidya. So the cosmic uh, truth is surrounding the cosmic ignorance. The Vedas described the diti surrounded by aditi. So this is uh, basically the whole scheme of things. But now the beauty of poetry is it's burdened with number of suggestions. That's the beauty of poetry. In prose, it goes uh, systematically. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Here, there is something very interesting which is being revealed to us on the sidelines. So on the sidelines is the question that Savitri undertook the yoga. She did an under, inner journey. Did she withdraw from the world? Did she go to a forest? Did she pick up an ashram where she went and started doing the yoga? Or was she in the world? Now, nowhere should be the says that what path she took. But there we find the suggestions now. Even after Nirvana and even during first, she describes that when she discovered the psychic being, she is with Satyavan, she is with everyone and there is a new change in her, death has disappeared and so she could continue in that state. Then she enters into the state of Nirvana. 
And then what happens after Nirvana? There is a whole chapter in the Gita dedicated on, uh, Shubindu dedicates on Nirvana and works in the world. So, Sabhisachi Arjuna is asked to, you know, go beyond the three, three gunas. Now, is it consistent with works in the world? This is a mystery. Many people believe that, no, the significance of works is to arrive at that state. Once you arrive, then no more works are needed. But Shurabindo and Sri Krishna, or Sri Krishna and Shurabindo, very clearly say that Nirvana is a condition for engaging with a mighty action for the sake of the divine. But could you speak a little about when Savitri knows that uh, Satchivan is going and she and she almost wants to commit sati ha so that comes even earlier in the very yes, first canto very of first this canto. movement yes. so there is the human aspect because the avatar must he represents the double aspect the human and the divine if it doesn't represent the human side um, then how is he going to tell us a problem which he has never experienced or suffered so, you know, very often we'll, when you read the biographies of people, uh, great yogis say, oh, when he was seven year old, ten year old, he walked into Himalayas, he took initiation. Now, that kind of a life has no meaning for us. I mean, we are not going to walk away at 10 o'clock, you, uh, 10, 10 years of age, you don't expect people to do that. But a life which is lived in the world and arrives, that has a meaning for us. So, that's what we see in the life of Krishna, Rama, and we see here in the life of Shirobindo and the mother. It's amazing how they were completely in contact with the world and yet inwardly they were growing. So this is what we uh, learn also in and in the first canto which you were mentioning that human side, she experiences mm. the enigma of death. It's a life where she is swinging between this joy of the union that comes through love and the impermanence and transience of things which she experienced because of the foretold doom. This is what all of us experience. It's not that life doesn't have joy. There is enough joy in life. I mean, we should not become, oh, life is meaningless. No, there is enough joy for everyone. But it doesn't last. So impermanence is the big problem. Transience is the big problem. So people have declared that it will remain transient and impermanence. So uh, there are two ways men can live. Uh, one is that you make a pact. Well, life will be like this, but keep striving towards the permanent and eternal. A point comes when you depart, leave this transience, enter into the permanence. That is the path of the great Buddha as he is understood, not as he, <laughs> he originally spoke. So leave that transient for the sake of the eternal. This is going to. But Savitri faces the same enigma. Transient love, transient happiness. But she takes another recourse. She questions why should it be thus? Why can't love become permanent? Why can't it become eternal? Why can't bliss be the natural state of being? So that's where she undertakes the yoga for a very different purpose than what it is traditionally taken for. She is not entering into a state of disappointed varagya. Oh, Narada has already prophesied. So I have no choice but to, you know, how much this happiness is transitory. Let me then find, uh, you know, joy in the beyond or peace in the beyond. Go into our other countries. Yes. So that's where she has a choice, which you were mentioning. She does contemplate humanly the possibility of eternal love by departing from earth. So earth is the field of sorrow, suffering and transience. In the vital planes, things don't, there is no death. Vital by its nature is life. <laughs> so uh, in the mental world, again, there is no death. 
in the spiritual worlds of course there is no death so she has a choice of departing with the husband go up in flames so that way she can keep the immortality and the eternity of love but then she realizes this is a selfish love how about the parents they would still need me so love is here is shown as a very wide landscape love is not just about one person loving another love is about loving everything connected with the person whom you love and that's why in in the book of death we see something very interesting uh, even book 8 Hmm. Uh, she says that I want to go to the forest. Tells his uh, yes. her mother-in-law, father-in-law, and they're very happy. They give her permission. Permission. So when she goes, she is so happy to see the places where Satyavan has gone around. And Satyavan tells, "Look at this stream. I have been here. Look at this forest. Can you hear this bird? This is what I have grown up with. Now this is a dimension of love which is very human, very sensual, and yet there is a beauty and joy in it which is uplifted." she absorbs that and even when satyavan departs in that journey the the blade everything is you know brings that memory yes in ramayana we have a similar passage which is so amazing when sita is uh, kidnapped by ravana so rama uh, goes around he is asking every tendril every tree every leaf you know sita because sita has lived there and been with them Mm. Have you seen her? Can you tell me something about her? So, Lord Shiva's, you know, gods don't understand human misery. <laughs> Sati says, "What is this? You say he is Sachidananda Brahma, but look at it, like an ignorant person, he is uh, moving around looking for his Sita. He should have understood that this is life, this is acceptance, and he should have taken the path uh, of the old, uh, enter into Nirvana." <laughs> but Shiva tells her. uh you see uh, you think i am deluded that i call him sachit anand brahm this is easy to get rid of but the delusion that you are suffering from is far more difficult she is not convinced so she comes and tests rama see what is rama doing he is universalizing love look at the power in those lines so savitri universalizes that love and in the parents in the blade of grass in everything so it's not just a selfish love and if you look at it this way everything that is interconnected after all if you pick up one point it's interconnected with the whole universe you cannot love one person and say it's only you and me it it doesn't exist this is a non starter <laughs> to start with so here we see uh, it has such a bearing on what we are going to read on discovery of the cosmic spirit and the cosmic consciousness how does a yogi act how does he speak this is a question arjuna asked shri krishna was in a hurry war scenario <laughs> he told about the inner state he said look arjun i'll tell you quickly <laughs> what is the inner state knowledge comes from within he is impersonal he is equal he is in a state of peace and joy all everything he says Uh, but he doesn't go into great detail so sri krishna comes as sure bindu he says now i have the time to speak about it so first in essays on the gita and now through savitri look at these lines in the very beginning of this canto she has realized the soul the ego is gone and now what is savitri's nature is she sitting now like a baba ji giving lectures somewhere on the pulpit and saying i am beyond all this so get rid of your maya by putting it in the hundi she not saying <laughs> so she is not saying anything what is she doing look at this beauty this is on page 551 just a few lines back accustomed only to read outward signs none saw aught new in her 
नन डिवाइंड हर स्टेट हर इन लॉज सत्यवान वट हुएवर नेबर्स में भी फार स्प्रेड आउट दे लव दे कुंट सी एनी चेंज दैट यू नो शी नॉट कमिंग एंड सेंग डू यू नो हु आई एम आई हैव रियलाइज दैट ब्राह्मण नथिंग दे डोंट सी दैट चेंज वट डू दे सी दे सो ए पर्सन वेयर वॉज ओनली गॉड्स वास्ट a still being or a mighty nothingness to all she was the same perfect savitri now here we see the suggestion that savitri practiced this entire yoga while living in the world doing all her activities had she told them i want to discover my soul they would have got the hint something is amiss is she unhappy with my son first thing <laughs> people take to vairagya after marriage when they are unhappy with their partners so <laughs> here she is with him happy and she has taken an inner journey without anybody understanding so she see this the suggestion that nirvana and works in the world to all she was the same perfect savitri nothing needs to be changed outwardly you don't have to change a dress start wearing suddenly a you know white dress or a this color dress start growing a beard you must look like a realized person <laughs> a realized person doesn't care how he looks <laughs> because he lives in god's joy should i shave <laughs> you look the way you are good i look the way i am good <laughs> that was a wonderful one but please don't <laughs> otherwise i'll be totally outsmarted <laughs> at least because <laughs> if you also are without shave nobody will look at me <laughs> <laughs> this is okay one with the beard and one without okay okay <laughs> so, okay so see they are seeing only the outside a greatness and a sweetness and a light what is the consciousness of the, that person they could sense a greatness and a sweetness and a light poured out from her upon her little world she didn't say that now i am living in cosmic spirit i must go out and you know declared no you can be anywhere and yet do the collective yoga collective yoga is when you carry the entire consciousness of the world within us so that's where we are representative humanity life showed to all the same familiar face when she would get up she would touch their feet as was the custom she would do pranam that's also described in book 8 to the deity she was there was no change outwardly that's what is being described to her her acts followed the old unaltered round she spoke the words that she was wont to speak and did the things that she had always done so this is where he um, describes but he goes still further and that's where we were reading on the next page there is a very interesting uh, passage here comes about the holy ghost mm. the, the father son and the holy spirit so of course uh, we know that the cross is the sign so the cross as a symbol shubhendra is described in different ways but one of them is the father the son and the holy spirit so the father is the transcendent the son is the psychic being in man individual and the holy spirit all around is the cosmic consciousness so this is there in mystic traditions of christianity unfortunately lost because the gnostics who carried this flame 
they were vedantins who were um, haunted by the institution of um, you know christian dumb not christianity and they lost they got lost same thing happened in islam the whatever beauty was there that is lost but in india because of the tradition of living masters and always that the word is subordinated to the realization that's why you know in indian thought it is always there shabd brahmati vartate so because of that this never happened in india there is never nothing like it completely institutionalized hinduism there are different people who follow different tradition even there is there is a sect in hinduism lingayats people may be knowing who actually bury they don't uh, burn and there are different traditions different approaches and it's acceptable that they will be different uh you put a kumkum fine but if you don't put it it's perfectly fine so that's because much more than the outer the stress was on the inner and yogis kept coming and also the oral tradition that's the yeah, oral tradition even when they written the multiplicity of approaches because they never lost focus of the goal goal was never an institution this we must understand that's where we are talking about collective ego goal is not an institution institution is an instrument for the goal goal is never a group of people conforming to a belief system that kind of a religious grouping no that's not the goal that can be a beautiful instrument for the goal if it is helpful if not then it will pass away shobindu speaks of all these things mother speaks about the ideal collectivity and she says uh, there have been attempts to form it and she says there are religious communities where people come together on the basis of belief so these were the old ways of doing it or you know sikhism which was the first attempt to form a spiritualized society now all these failed because they lost sight of the goal they were so much lost in externals so she says the gnostic community will be formed on the basis of the inner realization of the members you see with regard to oroville once people went to nolnida lot of problems were taking place between oroville ashram society uh, so they asked what should we do people want to do something outer let's come together let's sit together and chant something let's you know people that's how we understand nalida said let each one in their own way move <laughs> when people arrive at the state of being a gnostic being automatically it will happen don't try external means but inwardly we must grow not that it is a taboo but we must know that outer means don't work unless there is an inner shift so that's what happened in islam brotherhood but it became brotherhood of only muslims then it became brotherhood of hardcore sunni muslim so it finished it it's finishing itself because uh, the basis the goal is more important than the instruments and this focus in indian thought was never lost the goal is important the method is secondary should be in the speaks about it and even in the method in the yoga he says you must fix your aim uh, the idea and things processes they will develop or most important is the faith and the will then we will end up becoming that instrument circumstances everything means but don't be attached to the outer thing but be attached to the inner so that's what we see once i Asnalini about these problems in Oroville and he said to me I have read your letter completely she is trying a thousand different ways yes oh. because the divine is not bound to any 
one particular method. So that's where the goal is important. Now he describes that state, Shurbindo. So how does she move? How does she speak? See, there was a very interesting um, communication. Um, somebody wrote to Shurbindo that uh, it is said that when you realize the self and you realize the silence, inner silence, then uh, the comparison given is of a half-filled pot. So it makes a lot of noise. But when the pot is full, it becomes silent. Now, this is okay with regard to Sri Ramakrishna has said. Great yogi. So somebody is the temerity to ask Shurabindu about it. Meaning thereby Shurabindu is writing so much. So he asked, how could you? So there is behind it a question mark. So Shurabindu says that, and yet Sri Ramakrishna himself continued to, you know, give talks. That's how the gospels are <laughs> there. And his disciple, foremost disciple, Swami Vivekananda. He went around shaking the whole world. So it is the inner silence which is spoken about. Outer silence and imitative silence can sometimes mean may sometimes mean that instead of becoming supramental, we are becoming inframental. I mean, I will not speak, you make it. You know. Rare yogis like Champaklalji is different. But even there, it was not an absolute silence. He would write and communicate. And there was a reason why he had stopped that. Only example in Shurabindo's yoga. And the reason is because he was privy to so many conversations of Mother and Shurabindo, where they spoke about disciples, about everybody, and they were, he was told, you are the only person who are privy to all this. Make sure that, you know, because they are profound secrets. Somebody whom one may be revering a lot, their whole past, everything, <laughs> when they sat to write the letters and discuss about disciples, so subsequently at one point of time, he had that inner that I better not speak. That's how he stopped speaking. But he was still writing. Because when you write, when somebody asks you a question and you write, there is automatically a reflection. Otherwise, uh, one cannot. So here, but how was Savitri speaking? So meaning thereby, everything one can continue doing in a state of inner silence and nirvana. And Shubindu gives his own example. The, you know, after... That experience of nirvana, the entire Arya is written in a state of inner silence. What majestic writings. So here, and there also there is an ascension. If you look at Shobindu's writings, 1910, Karmyogin, 11, 12, same, Isha Upanishad for example, 13, 14. So after nirvana, the ascension through the planes, and each plane you ascend, there is a new light which bursts forth. So here we see, we come to page 553. First, she turned to the face of a veiled, voiceless truth hid in the dumb recesses of the heart or waiting beyond the last peak climbed by thought. Unseen itself, it sees the struggling world and prompts a quest but cares not to be found. She has reached those peaks of silence. Out of that distant vast came a reply. Something unknown unreached, inscrutable, send down the messages of its bodiless light. So the birth of thought. It is light. It doesn't have a body. The moment it enters into the domain of form, it is given a body, thought. So we see in the Vedas climbing through nine levels of thought, ten levels of thought. So there were shears who climbed through 
different levels of thought. So thought is a vehicle in which light is encapsulated. So what is thought? It's a capsule of light. And reading Shurabindu is to take <laughs> that capsule of light every day. <laughs> Whether you understand or not, as a doctor I give this analogy. If you take the capsule with faith, it will do its work. Lot of study has gone behind it. <laughs> so, this is not just study, but a direct experience revelation, which is given in the form of words. And to just read these words, it's a capsule of light. They'll go inside, do their work of transformation. This is what mother has said. She has used the word, it'll do its work of transformation. She's not even saying that, you know, maybe it will do its work of transformation and create new brain cells for understanding if needed. That's why I love this word understanding, one of those few words in English language which is so perfect and apt. Understanding. I stand under the light. It comes from above and then I understand. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> if I believe I overstand, then I don't understand. So that's Isha Upanishad, one of the Upanishad puts it like this, no? That uh, if you know it, if you have the thought of it, you know it not. Kena. If you have the thought of it, you know it not. And if you do not have the thought of it, you know it. So meaning thereby, the way we ordinarily receive knowledge, especially scholarly, that's why scholarly knowledge is not knowledge, it's Called as petrified wisdom, should be those words. Petrified wisdom means I have read something from here and there, and then I package it, <laughs> recycle it, I take it, then vomit it, like recycle thing. But true knowledge just pours in streams like rivers to the Vedic Rishis. That's what is being described here. Something unknown, unreached. Inscrutable, send down the messages of its bodiless light. And what was happening to these messages? Cast lightning flashes of a thought, not ours. You can't claim. Anybody who has risen to these heights knows that to claim that this is my thought itself is a great ignorance. When mother was asked about intellectual property, you remember, no? That's what she, oh, she yes. said, I yes. don't believe in copyrights. Yes. Copyright of what? It's universal consciousness. You have existed. That's all. It's not like yours. Okay. Writing a name in a book or this thing is important because otherwise you, somebody has to be there to hang by the nose if there is a problem. That's what I was told. But otherwise, it's not you who writes it. It's written through you. And it's true of everything. So here it is. Send down the messages of its bodiless light. Cast lightning flashes of a thought not ours, crossing the immobile silence of her mind. Her mind is silent, and so these thoughts. Um, posted that poem today, no? Seer deep hearted, thoughts crossed, burning and bare. Thoughts broke, burning and bare, crossing the human night, white star scripts of the gods born from the presses of light. Page by page, the dim children of earth were given. So these thoughts break into the human sky, which is quiet, immobile. In its, now this is wonderful, two words, Shubindu does that. He is a master at, you know, 
how i mean paradoxical yeah in its might of irresponsible sovereignty you are always carrying the burden of responsibility what i am going to speak <laughs> just it's in regard to the messages irresponsible sovereignty you know you will speak what the divine is transmitting through you that's the end of the story tomorrow you may say something completely different <laughs> this used to happen to mother and people asked her mother but yesterday you said this thing have you changed your opinion she said fortunately i have no opinions <laughs> <laughs> i act based on the vision of truth at a given moment if things change then the truth that is going to emerge changes so one day she is a veritable mahakali using words like <laughs> morons <laughs> morons yes <laughs> you want to change your window mother that book of death was not um, completed by him he had not revised him how do you know that he did not intend to leave it unrevised mind blowing how do we know what the lord intended and didn't intend see this putting intentions into even human beings is the worst kind of work to be done we look at few things outside and then we put intentions and with regard to divine to put intentions he did because of this people do this all the time once i was having this uh, conversation on a coffee table air force days Hmm. so one of the air force uh, doctors uh, officials she she says she was a sardar ji matlab sikhni oh krishna this that you he i said hold on you are talking of facts or you are talking of your mind's opinions trying to fit krishna into your slot but mind you he will not fit into any slot you try as you may so he says you are trying to defend i said no i don't need to defend krishna i am just placing the facts before you either you share the facts and say according to my opinion he may have been like this <laughs> but you can't put intent inside somebody's actions that's what shobindo's famous aphorism about the uh, you know gopi's vastraharan he says each one brings his own consciousness into it some see in it a wonderful you know gospel where he is liberating us from the vice um, the garb of virtue as much as vice other seen it nothing but a you know usual play and he says that he brings his own consciousness into this understanding so here the divine intent so she was that's why it's irresponsible sovereignty and there is a whole conversation on cling to truth we find it written there people telling her mother shurbinder has written this he has said do not imagine truth and falsehood She says, "What can I do? People just don't understand." And then she says, "What can I do? I only wrote cling to truth. They have held on to the words. They don't understand anything." And World Vegetarian he, Congress. Then he says, uh, "Only those things are true, the opposite of which are also true." At the mental level, this is a very good discipline. When you rise beyond the mind, then there is truth which blazes in its own light, even if nobody recognizes it. and as it enters it can take this form this form this form at million forms that's what is supramental thought that's why it is called as a thousand petal lotus where the one takes a thousand forms and through everything you can see that you know we regard them as opposites 
but there they are all reconciled. So irresponsible sovereignty. So this is where it seized on speech to give those flamings shape. Now mark the little difference. Not flaming shapes. It's not something external, chiseled. Flamings shape. It's lights, light entering the brain, cleaving the brain. And the brain is replying, a bright reply to wisdom's occult plane, a calm illumination and a flame. So these flamings are entering and shape is given. That's all that is happening, a kind of thought. Made beat the heart of wisdom in a word. And this marvelous line. In that great line, yes. And spoke immortal things through mortal lips. This is what we are here for, to build immortality through mortal things. I mean, it's amazing. We'll read a few more lines because this is continues about the speech and messages. How she would speak. Someone asked the mother, Mother, in your books, uh, why is it that when you write something, it gives a tremendous impact? So what is it that it contains? And mother just used one word, consciousness. Same thing. Uttered by someone who is not living that truth. She has said about spiritual teachings. She said spiritual speech should only be by inspiration. That spiritual speech. And she says a word repeated too often. It loses its value when one has just remembered, memorized and then one speaks. It should be, it should carry within it the spontaneity of the first star of creation. What is going to happen? No one knows. And then there is... The great outburst. That's how it should be. So it's spiritual speech of the highest order is being described. Or listening to the sages of the woods. He's not going there and telling, I am, you know, not going to listen to you because I already have the knowledge. He's listening to the sages of the woods. In question and in answer broke from her high strange revealings, impossible to men. So the sages are there and she is quietly listening to them because she is in the woods. Suddenly she says something and they are wondering, ki, where is this coming from? Someone had asked, um, um, she asked when mother came, she asked Shirobindo, what is this thing called Samadhi? There is so much talk about it in the Upanishads and all this. I have never experienced it the way it is described. And Shirobindo laughs and says, nor have I. And then he says, you have gone far beyond the yogis of the Upanishads. And then he describes what he meant by it. What he meant is that in Samadhi, we have to withdraw from the outer world traditionally. And then we have to enter into higher domains, experience what lies beyond. But because the connecting links are not there, when we come back, we can't say much. Most People do that. They've experienced a great reality. But they can't really describe. They use words like, it cannot be described. It's ineffable. It's parbrahman. Sometimes they use. Shobindo writes a whole poem on parbrahman. So, what they experienced was the simultaneity, the way divine experience. Divine doesn't withdraw from the ephemeral, phenomenal, transient world to experience his permanence. <laughs> his chatushpad brahman. He is simultaneously this and that and all else. 
He is simultaneously the one and the all. This is the experience that the supramental consciousness gives. Where she is simultaneously experiencing the highest reality and yet she is aware of the ticking of the clock in the room and the discussion going on between people. This is, uh, you know, Mother and Shurabindu would uh, live like that. And there are um, so many stories. Champaklalji, when she would withdraw inside, then Champaklalji says in Champaklal speaks that he would, they would just be waiting and sometimes they would say something and etc. Some comment, odd comment, and Mother would come out, you think I don't listen to you people? I am aware of everything that is happening, including the ticking of the clock. So, that samadhi where you become oblivious of the other levels? No. And they had very consciously bid the links. Because without it, you can't have a supramental realization. If the links are not built between one level of consciousness and another, you can't, there has to be a track. So, even before coming to Pondicherry, there are times when for a whole few months, she was trying to build a link between some zone of the vital and the physical because she would lose that awareness in that process. So all the links they were making so that when the consciousness comes down, it, that rails are ready. It doesn't get derailed. So this that's how a supramental consciousness a being will live simultaneously all these realities. And we will not have to struggle the way they did. Yeah, of course. To bring course. it down. Gratitude. To create those links. Absolutely, absolutely. We can't even imagine. So when people speak about, okay, now we'll carry the work. Okay, they have built the bridge. Just walk. That is the work. And work enough. <laughs> Just walk. <laughs> because when you look down, you will. that also is described below. You will see some crocodiles in the river below. And if you are frightened that I am going on the bridge, but who knows if it collapses, doubts come into the mind. You will be frightened. You have to walk on the bridge that she has built the bridge. And those last lines of Sri Aurobindo, when he says she doesn't know where, whether she's going to, to go to a new world. Yes. So this is where we, we see that how it works. Suddenly there were strange revealings. Something or someone secret and remote took hold of her body for his mystic use. Her mouth was seized to channel ineffable truths. This is an experience she describes in prayers and meditations also. That my mouth was seized and the light expressed itself through the mouth. Her mouth was seized to channel ineffable truths. Knowledge unthinkable found an utterance. Astonished by new enlightenment, invaded by a streak of the absolute, they marveled at her, the sages of the woods. Who is she? She's just an ordinary housewife. How come she is knowing all this? <laughs> Not only knowing all this, knowing something which they don't know. Strange revelation. So they marveled at her. Even at the end, they will marvel at her and ask her, tell us, tell us what is the secret you are carrying. And she says, to know uh, love and oneness is to live. That's my secret. What they had only glimpsed at times afar, they marveled at her, for she seemed to know what they had only glimpsed at times afar. How was she receiving these truths? How did she know these truths? These thoughts were formed not in her listening brain. Ordinarily, 
We live in such a gross consciousness that we become aware only when they have touched the brain. Then it takes a certain shape. But a yogi becomes aware of thoughts even before they are coming inside. Can pick and choose or can just open to the source of light. And so it flows and enters the brain, seizes the mouth, speech and act. Her vacant heart was like a stringless harp. What a, you know, there is a, again, harp, stringless, but not a percussion drum. So, uh, this in mystic literature, there is a term used for this, for the heart center, where you have this anahad nad. It is called anahad. Some people use the word, therefore, anahat chakra. Anahat is also used. Anahat, unstruck. You're not striking the string or the percussion to create sound. Anahat. And also, some people use it like this, anahat. There is no limit to that. So it comes from the limitless beyond. And without using this or that emotional state, it's not there. It comes to the heart and enters the speech. This is the original mantra. It comes from the higher levels through the heart, rises in a crescendo of speech, rhythmic speech, and it becomes a mantra. Impassive, the body claimed not its own voice. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was a permanent disclaimer. <laughs> it is the divine who was speaking. In Shirobindo's language, one of the first things that struck me, people speak about English and all that. I said, here is Shirobindo writing. The entire synthesis of yoga, the life divine, he is not using the word I. Where has he used the word I? So I found in secret of the Vedas he has used the word I. That when he came there, he uses the word I. Then I realized later on that it's not important whether you use the word I or not. But the impersonal universality of his speech. The mother is extremely personal, she will use the word I. But that I is not about obviously this little I. So that came later on. But I was marveling at the speech, where it is coming from. Ordinarily, you know, when we write uh, anything, this tends to come in. But um, here, even the body claimed not its own voice. The voice itself, the cadence, the tones, everything, the rhythm, all was decided by the divine. But let the luminous greatness through it pass. This is the spiritual speech. Perfect description. Few lines we'll read, then we can stop. You want to read? A dual power at being's occult poles. Still acted, nameless and invisible. Her divine emptiness was their instrument. So what was happening? This is a state in which, in this the entire supramental realization will come toward the end. But this is a state when one is in the cosmic ignorance, where both cos uh, cosmic consciousness, where both cosmic ignorance and cosmic truth, they are acting through the person. So the paramahansas, they say that, well, they just allow these things to fly through them. Because there is no concept of transformation. They are free inside. They are living in a vast consciousness. Their actions can be very unnerving at times. Even Sri Ramakrishna's actions, who could understand? Swami Vivekananda, Sri Ramakrishna, suddenly going inside, is the pakoda ready? I have to talk to them. Once when he is going to hear a very sweet little conversation, a wonderful book, gospel. But of course, after reading Shurabindo, it 
one can see that you know it's a different thing altogether but it's very good to open the heart to bhakti and to a kind of intuitive knowledge um, but you know he goes uh, somebody has asked him to come for some reception or some function is going on so he goes in a rickshaw so he suddenly asking is one of the disciples when they are getting down will he pay for it or <laughs> he expects me to because there is no money so the disciple tells him don't worry Thakur he will pay <laughs> he is not sure if he I get down if they ask me for money what will I do so you know it's so sweet many of those little conversations or you know so all the forces are there at that point of time Swami Vivekananda Sister Nivedita could never understand so here it is described the dual power at the poles still acted so when you are walking the bridge on if you look up you'll see the luminous beyond if you look down you'll see all those magarmach crocodiles <laughs> And so, her divine emptiness was their instrument. Inconscient nature dealt with the world it had made and using still the body's instruments, slipped through the conscious void she had become. Because of this void and emptiness, normally our reason creates certain checks and balances. But now she is living in the cosmic emptiness. So all things are finding an entry. This superconscious mystery through that void missioned its word to touch the thoughts of men. As yet, the great impersonal speech was rare. So it's continuing that same about messages and speech. But now the unmoving wide spiritual space in which a mind survived tranquil and bare admitted a traveler from the cosmic breaths a thought came through draped as an outer voice. It called not for the witness of the mind. It spoke not to the hushed receiving heart. It came direct to the pure perception seat. This pure perception is truth perception. In Vedas we have truth vision, truth audition. This is truth perception. And only center now of consciousness if center could be where all seemed only space, no more shut in by bodies, walls and gates, her being a circle without circumference, already now surpassed all cosmic bounds and more and more spread into infinity. So that's the trajectory of the yoga. Ever-expanding circle and immediately infinity. Namaste all. Namaste. 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 Thank you. Namaste.